Right, okay. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to do Jog On as a feature in future. I don't think anything can top that. That was amazing. And truly everybody, Catherine and I did not say we'll talk about hip-hop ahead of time. It was completely... You did not know I was going to say hip-hop, did you? No. Right. That was amazing. <laughs> and you probably thought asking a middle-aged white woman about hip-hop could go terribly wrong. Boom. But, but no, <laughs> that, that was... Hello there. My name is Kit Rackley. My pronouns are they, them. And this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPot. Off we go. Hi, everyone, and we're back for a second go after the first one went very well and was actually very enjoyable. Now, I'm going to timestamp this episode for you all since I don't really have a specific schedule for release. We're recording this on UK Census Day, March the 21st, 2021. Now, my guest and I today may organically talk about that. We may not. Um, but on that note, let me introduce you to who is uh, joining me today. So this is the wonderful Catherine Owen, and Catherine Owen has been head of geography at her high school for over 20 years, a job that she loves. She chairs the Geographical Association's International Special Interest Group and has been lucky enough to write and present for the GA on many occasions. So she does a lot of writing and presenting for a range of organizations, including Oxford University Press, Hodder and Tutor for You. And being part of the geography community is very important to Catherine, particularly enjoying collaborating on uh, projects sharing ideas and supporting each other and welcome Catherine how are you on this census day I'm very well indeed thank you cool and uh, yeah what a day it is for us geographers we can we can begin to be impatient and have squeaky bums waiting for that data to come out and because it's all online now we won't have to wait years and years we might only Mm. have to wait one year hey haven't (laughs) done mine yet because I want to really be able to you know, put the time into it and relish the experience. I love it. You see, that's that. You know, you're a true <laughs> geographer when you relish doing the census. Yeah. So, so this uh, this podcast is named Coffee and Geography after a Twitter poll, and we're we're kind of aiming for this kind of like coffee shop vibe of getting to know people in the geography community. So I'm asking each guest to talk about what brew you have in front of you right now. So uh, what's brew have you got in front of you right now? Right. Well, the brew I've got in front of me right now is the English Tea Shop white tea um, with blueberry and elderflower. So, um, so yeah, um, I am really into these fruit teas now because I am terrible with caffeine. And anyone that knows me will know that, you know, I get quite excited about things and I talk a lot. <laughs> and you imagine if I have um, very much caffeine, that you know just ramps it up to an unbearable level so um so i've started drinking i drink decaf coffee and i do enjoy a good cup of coffee um and i've started drinking a lot of fruit teas and um this one is one that's particularly nice um and it's an organic one so hopefully that means it's not causing too much damage um and i'd never come across um the idea of different types of teas i just knew there was tea tea until um my friend seb took me to um, a place in London where you could buy like absolute multitude of different types of tea. And we bought some very posh tea. And um, but um, so now I've got into trying all different types of tea and enjoying all those different tastes. Yeah, I think I, I know the shop that you're talking about. I've been there a few times myself, but it seems like a world away now by having been managed to go to London nowadays, let alone yeah. a few years ago. But yeah, I was the same. It's like quintessentially British. No, it must be your your classic brew. I mean, I'm <laughs> drinking the classic brew. I mean, second time I mentioned it, Yorkshire tea, and I'm quite happy to. They're not. No one is sponsoring this podcast, at least not at the moment. But I'll give them a plug since apparently you know they, they're certified carbon neutral so that's fine by me um but yeah these fruit teas I, I it wasn't until i met my wife until i started getting into these fruit teas and i like no i was exactly the same i was like what's this like why would you put like chamomile in your tea why would you do peppermint i was definitely a kind of a tea snob at the time but yeah it's 
it's interesting. Are you a tea snob if you stick to your classic brew or a tea snob if you go for the fruity teas? <laughs> I don't know. That's a bit of a paradox, I, really. I think, I think you're, a, you're a tea snob if you think your way of doing tea is superior to other people's way of doing teas. And I think Good we, need way of putting it. we need acceptance. We need acceptance in the tea drinking community. I totally agree. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay, in, in your uh, bio, you also mentioned that you're mum to Jack and Megan. So, hi, Jack and Megan, if you're listening to this a bit later. I'm, I'm, I'm Probably you're going to get them to listen to this, aren't you? And you, uh, you, you, love, <laughs> you love spending time with them and your family, hence your Twitter handle, at Jogmum. So, for American listeners, that's mum with a U, not mum with an O, yeah? So, G-E-O-G-M-U-M. And now, I'll say from my point of view that that's a perfect Twitter handle for you, right? Because I've, for as long as I've known you, I've, I've always thought of you as a nurturing, motherly figure for many of us in the UK geography teacher community. And I know I'm not alone in thinking this. So, so how do you feel about that? What's your reaction to, to that? Um, when, when I first came up with the idea of being jog mum, the idea behind it for me was more about showing that I love my job, but I also love my role as a mother and I love my family. And that, you know, those two things don't have to be in tension with each other. Um, you know, you can you can be um, very much involved with your family's life and very much involved with your career. And those two things can complement each other. So when I first came up with the name, that was the angle that I was going for. But then as soon as I um, started using it, people said to me, oh, that's... Um, that's just such an appropriate name because you mother everybody. And I said, well, that's not really what I was going for, but I'm happy <laughs> to accept that. Um, I just think it's really important. Um, I'm getting now, so, you know, I'm one of the sort of, you know, more mature members of the geography community. Aww. And um, so, you know, I'm really, really keen to, you know, keep looking out for the youngsters and, um, you know, supporting them through the networks that I've created. I want to be able to give people a leg up so that they can really do what they want to do. And also, you know, with my peers, like people that are in similar similar um, times in their careers as well, there's just in the geography community such a great sense of support and um, going through things together and helping each other. And mm. so I'm really pleased that I've got, you know, jog mum, that I love geography, I love teaching, I love my family, but also that that is now seems to have morphed into also the fact that I really like to encourage and support others in what they're doing. Yeah, well, I I, I think it's perfect, and and I don't, I don't know that I've you know there's been there's been plenty of times in in my you know when I was teaching geography and beyond since that I've I've had tricky times you know I've suffered from mental health and I've been very open talking about that and and you've and you've always you've always been there you've always offered you know the support been a supporting rock and you know we're, we're not we're not we're not close friends as in you know we would go out to dinner all the time and things like that you're all the way in, in Somerset we'll talk about it in a minute I'm all the way over here in Norfolk but whenever we do get together like for the GA conference or for or for CPD and stuff like that you know it's I just it you do you you, you feel like a in through for a geography community lens you feel like a member of the family and it, it it's it's something and i've always felt very very safe secure and affirmed around you and you do kind of give that that persona and so yes yeah, so i own it and i'm so pleased you managed to get the that twitter handle because jog mum is is one of those twitter handles which i think can go very quickly someone else could probably grab it so i'm so pleased that you have it you know there's also a rather wonderful um there's a very wonderful jog mummy as well who you might have met um yeah. and she is absolutely fabulous as well and works with a lot of um trainee teachers so shout out to at jog mummy yeah absolutely and that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast is because we want to give a lot of shout out to all the other people in the community and also internationally as well if, if you're listening to this and thinking oh is this podcast just for the uk geography community or the uk geography teaching community? no because i'm gonna i'm trying to reach out to anybody who who may think they identify as a geographer from anywhere in the world and to connect with us and because that's what we do best. And we'll talk about that a bit later about the interconnectivity and stuff like that. So, um, right, so bringing this down into your sense of place then. So that's you as a sense of person, but as a sense of place. So you're based in the Taunton Bridgewater area of beautiful Somerset. And you quite often post pictures of family walks in your local area uh, and they're always a joy to see. So can you describe to us what your um sense of place is like you know like things that that nurture the soul for you make you feel connected to your place so tell us a little bit about how you connect to your place 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm really a southwest all over girl because um, my family's Cornish, and my mum and dad, when they were in their late teens, um, there weren't op- a lot of opportunities really in um, in Cornwall for young people. So my dad joined the RAF, and they went round the country. And um, when he came out the RAF, they were in locking in Western Supermare. So I grew up um, in a little village called Yatton, just outside Western Supermare, and. Um, it's you know strange when you've got a life where you're living in a place um, that's so different from Cornwall is very very different from being near Western Supermare because we were spending a lot of time every weekend we're going to Bristol and my dad worked in Bristol and I just adore Bristol Um, and yeah we'd go frequently down to Cornwall as well and then I didn't really mean to end up staying in the southwest I was hoping to go to Lancaster University and then I didn't do very well in my A-level geography. I did well in physics and maths and I didn't do so well in geography. So I ended up going to Plymouth Poly um, through, um, you know, because in my day, I'm so old, we used to do UCA and PCAS when you applied. So I went down to Plymouth and I absolutely fell in love with Plymouth. Absolutely amazing city. Um, I just think that, you know, I've just got so much um, love for the coastline. I think being in the Southwest, I'm so lucky um, because obviously all my time in Cornwall, um, in St. Austell, it's it's beautiful coastline around there. Um, growing up near Western Supermare, then being down in Plymouth and having that amazing city by the sea and just having, you know, the ocean there and all those, that sense of place that you're, you're in one place um, that has got its own very particular characteristic, but you're linked so much to the rest of the world. Plymouth, you know, is so linked to um, so much of the world in positive and negative ways when we think about things like, you know, colonialism. Um, and then I ended up working in Somerset. And so um, I then settled in Somerset and I live on the Somerset levels. And so um, it's quite a um, quite a sort of, you know, quiet and um, you can see for miles type place. But also, of course, we've always got that threat hanging over us of the floods. The flooding, yeah. So in some ways you've got so much peace but in other ways, like, you know, when you get that intense rain, you're like, oh, my goodness, do we need to run down to the centre of the village and start um, start raking away leaves from the um, drains? Because otherwise they're going to block and it's going to flood. So wow. so I've got this sort of, you know, this wonderful um, experience all over. I've lived, you know, I've lived in North Somerset. Um, I've lived in um, Devon and in Somerset. And the only place I haven't actually ever lived is Cornwall. Um, but I go there. A lot. That's uh, that sounds. As soon as you, yeah, as soon as you said sunset levels, I think a lot of people listening would go immediately would have connected that with flooding. Um, yeah. In particular, as you just said, and um, and I think I think um, that's really really interesting. And what I would just want to kind of circle back to what you were saying about Plymouth is that that's really really good because one of the, with my new day job now at the University of East Anglia, I'm trying to help encourage disadvantaged um, students, high school students, into going into higher education. And I think one of the one of the misconceptions that are taking place right now is that is that if you if you're not aspiring to go to a, a Cambridge or an Oxford, you know, or or a highly prestigious university, then then you're you're a partly of a failure, or you're or you're or you're not going to make it, or it's not don't bother working it. But you just said yourself there is that. Is that you got into um, Plymouth and found it was fantastic, and it just goes to show that we shouldn't really be treat you know having this kind of almost like classes kind of view of of higher education. Like UEA was not my first choice, University of Stang was not my first choice, but my God, it's been the best fit for me in all ways, shapes, mm-hmm. and form. And I'm so glad, in a kind of strange sense, that I didn't yeah. get the grades yeah. that I because I think I would have even. <laughs> I think my first choice was either Lancaster, like you, or yeah. it was either Lancaster or um, to do environmental science or Aberystwyth, I think. Yeah. Um, and I didn't didn't quite get the grades for for many reasons. But so I ended up going to university. But I tell you what, the way my life has panned out since going to University of East Anglia, which wasn't really very well known at the time, it's just changed my life completely for the better. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you kind of well, made that when- mention. When I when I went to Plymouth, it was Plymouth Polytechnic, and then it mm. became Polytechnic South West. And by the time I graduated, it was University of Plymouth. Yes. So I got a university degree anyway. <laughs> um, but what I think I loved so much about Plymouth is that um, because it was a new university, everything you know they looked at. They had a lot of younger lecturers, a lot of people really engaged in their research, and um, 
you know, I don't know if in a more traditional university, sometimes um, I'm probably stereotyping, but maybe you've got people that have sort of been there for longer and they're not so active in research. Um, I just felt like, you know, in, in the geography department, particularly in, in Plymouth University, it was a really happening place. And then they've become now um, a place that's particularly high, um, highly regarded for geography and particularly in relation to education. Um, yeah, so, seriously. yeah, so I really, really think the world of Plymouth um, yeah. University um, did great things for me. And I think it's important that I say to people, you know, that's my background, because like you say, so many people think, um, oh, my goodness, um, I must, must go to certain places. And it all works out really in the end, doesn't it? Whatever happens, just, you know, keep your faith. Um, even when I didn't do as well in geography as I was hoping to, you know, I mm. thought I could have gone off and done engineering with grades I had in maths and physics, but I love geography, so I stuck with it. Yeah, and I think also, you know, personalities like Professor Ian Stewart has done a great, you know, <laughs> has done a lot to kind of raise the profile of, of places like Plymouth and um, University of Plymouth, and it's um, yeah, it's 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 really really great. And and like you're thinking about as well, it's interesting because a lot of universities, a lot of places have changed their names. Like Anglia Polytechnic became Anglia Ruskin University, for example. So it's it's definitely kind of <laughs> kind of reflected that kind of societal change as well. Um, in in, the, in kind of even the branding in the naming. So what you've been saying then, you, it's, you you've got a, you've got a question in nature. You you say that um, be identifying as a geographer one reason is because you love to dig deeper after you discover your answers and things mm -hmm. like that. So it really, I mean, I don't need to elaborate on this really because you've you've said it eloquently so well. It sounds like the the place that you are at the moment does really feed quite nicely into your question in nature. And I'm wondering when you do go running down the street to kind of clear the the leaves off of the you know the, is it is it because you've been recommended by the council to say that this if you can do it this is great or is it just you as your because you've been answering loads of questions and you've got all these things that as a geography you know i need to do this because it's going to help you know discharge some of that water back into the so there's 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 two reasons behind it really so i'm laughing because it just brings very happy memories um <laughs> One one reason that we run outside when there's very intense rain is because I, I didn't want my children to be scared of things like storms when they were little. And so we started a tradition that whenever there was thunder or lightning or very, very heavy rain, we would run out into the back garden and dance in it. So um, rather than having like, you know, children saying, oh, my God, it's a storm. I'm scared. They're like, oh, wow, it's really raining. Let's get outside and do a dance. Um, so that sort of part of it and then the other part is that being a geographer um and the village i live in it doesn't flood um really badly like some parts of somerset levels but it does flood in the center um and it is because of debris blocking the um the the drainage so um so what happened in our most recent flood was last august and it was incredibly intense rain and so Megan said, um, you know, they're a bit old to go out and dance now, but Megan said, let's go for a walk in the rain. And it was absolutely pouring, really intense rain. So we walked down to the centre of the village and then we could see that there was starting to be an issue. So um, I'm really lucky that in my village we've got, you know, some really close connections with people. So I ran to this wonderful woman's house um, who she runs the preschool and... Um, She's just, you know, very involved in the village. And I said, um, I said, I think it's going to go. I think it's going to flood. And so she came out with her sons. And then next thing you know, we had loads of people out trying to keep it clear. And we um, we ended up with quite deep water. It was up to thigh depth on the roads at one point, but it didn't get in the village wow. hall. And that's always our mission is yeah. to um, stop it getting in the pub and the village hall because if the roads get covered and then the water goes down and they're all covered in silt, the council can come and clean that up. If it gets into the pub, if it gets into the village hall, you know, those are so crucial in our community. Yeah, um, so everyone's just out there trying to um, keep it clear. So, so you know, Megan saying, um, should we go out for a walk in the rain? She potentially saved the um, village hall from, you know, That's we have incredible. to replace all the flooring and yeah. everything when the flood water gets in. So, yeah, so well done to Megan. That's, yeah, I love those. And this is exactly what we're trying to do on this podcast, those personal stories and related to the kind of wider geographical. That's really, really nice. And, and I think, I think um, anybody listening to that, I, I reckon there will be a few teachers who will tell that as a really good story, a good case study about how small little <laughs> local actions can make a really big difference. And, 
and and that we can all make that, that you know those contributions so that's wonderful right we're going to move on to some uh, an element of organized chaos now um and there's going to be a few regular features in each episode so are you ready to have a go at the first one oh let's go yeah. for it yeah okay so um so this first so this feature we're going to play is jog your memory Okay, so um, we'll discuss your views about a significant geographical event without me revealing when it took place. So you need to guess when it did. So <clears throat> what I'm going to do is give you something here which has been taken from the fantastic folks at Rerouted or reroute.ed uh, and their November 2020 YouTube video about African empires. The legendary kingdom of Kush was centered in Nubia which today is modern-day Northern Sudan. Now, this empire is particularly important as it helps to define the political and cultural landscape of Northeastern Africa for more than a thousand years. Now, the first kingdom of Kush was known as Kerma. Kerma is one of the oldest African states outside of Egypt and was established... The video talks about the Kush Empire Nubia, which is the modern-day uh, northern Sudan uh, and this helped to define the political and cultural landscape of northern Africa more than a thousand years ago so I'm, I'm giving I'm giving a ballpark there <laughs> um, the capital of Nubia was Kerma and became an important trading hub for exotic animals gold and acted as a waypoint for connecting many places from the Middle East to other areas of Africa so for me um, this is very clear historical evidence that for example globalization interdependence is not you know is not either a uniquely Western or new phenomena. So what's what's your without before we get to kind of think about when this took place, what's your what's your take on this? Especially there's been a lot of um exposure and articles now, isn't it, about about African empires and, and the like. Well, I I um I'm absolutely fascinated by Africa. Uh you probably know that I've got a strong link um, with Uganda. Mm -hmm. And I um I work with a group of schools in Uganda and um go over there um i've been over three times been really really lucky to be able to go over to uganda a few times so i tend to um, know quite a lot about uganda and not so much about other places but of course um you're talking about the sudan and that's um that well south sudan borders on to uganda and um i was so lucky when i went to uganda in um, 2018 to be taken to a um see a dance troupe perform who perform in Kampala. And what happens is there's this incredible person that I can't remember his name at the moment, but he's absolutely amazing. And he set up this dance troupe and young people who um, want to be doing things like, um, you know, sort of um, further and higher education. They come and basically live at this place and they are dancers and singers and they perform. Um, but they also then are able to sort of, you know, continue with their education. And what was amazing about this um, show that I was taken to was um, it went back through the history of um, Uganda, but also talking about some of the countries that are, you know, adjoining um, and talked about like different groups of people and the amazing rich culture. And um, there were, you know, sort of songs and dances exploring. Um, and so you've got like, you know, the I don't know if the Kush were maybe a sort of Nilotic um culture but there was quite a quite a lot of sort of looking at um uh, the difference between the cultures that developed around the nile and then the cultures that were more bantu based that um are more in um, the south of uganda so it was just the most amazing evening um watching the story of these rich cultures um playing out before my eyes by these amazing young people it was oh one of those nights that I would just never forget. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And when I, I, it brought back a memory for me of something similar when I went to Malawi in, in 2013 and, and, and they had, they greeted us with what they called the big dance. And the big dance is, is kind of, kind of a, a retelling of a story of, of the Che, of the, of the, the Chewa culture. Um, and it's, it's so beautiful, the whole telling of history through, through story and and through dance and through those kind of cultural uh, cultural language and and um, and for me it identifies me as a geographer is is the whole 
you know, the telling of stories and the passing of knowledge through story is absolutely key and vital, and we don't want to lose that. And and like the fact fact that there's a lot, you know, globalization, westernization is causing a lot of this to disappear, a lot of native language to disappear, you know, and then all this richness in culture and history is disappearing. So that's really that's really really interesting what you say about your experience there, and you probably got so much from that as from that cultural experience. And um, did so was there a lot of so you mentioned that they were talking about the history. So what was you able, was you able to pick up like specific elements of it, or was it just a feeling that you got um, from? It was the the um, the gentleman that was in charge of the show and that basically was organised the whole thing. He's a comedian, and so he um, sort of like you know told a lot of jokes about um, the different groups of people, and I think that that was a really clever way to be able to sort of highlight differences between. The different groups because I think one of the things that's just so important to remember in African countries is that so many countries were just created by those lines drawn on the map by totally. um, Europeans yeah and I think really what he got across so well is that actually you've got all these different groups of people that have their own cultures and traditions and um drawing lines on a map to say bam this is a country hasn't um meant that you know you've just suddenly got this homogenous country you've still got this um rich culture um and one of the things that really chimed with me um was there was one particular um there was one particular singer that came on that was um like you know it was really built up that this amazing singer and most beautiful woman um, was going to be coming on the stage and we were really lucky to be able to see her and then when she came onto the stage she's quite a big girl you know she's she's quite plump and um, she obviously was very very happy with the way she looked she was stunning and her dress was stunning and she um, was twirling for the audience as she sang um, and it just made me think you know this is wonderful that um, so much in western culture there's so much you know um, people have to look a certain way yeah. to be beautiful and you're looking you know quite often in things like magazines there's so much of a focus on people being very slim um, but in front of me there was this stunning beautiful African woman um, who was so happy in herself and singing um, songs you know from her heritage and I just thought you know this is what we need we need different people um, who are you know celebrating the way that they are and sharing that celebration absolutely and and also that's a very very fantastic way of avoiding the, the narrative of the single story as well you know mm -hmm. something that uh chairman and gotchi adichie like talks about quite a bit in 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 her ted talk that even she says you know i can't represent an, a nigerian i definitely can't represent an african woman because we're so diverse we're a continent of so many countries, you know, over 50 countries. And then and then you've got, I don't even represent a Nigerian woman because there is so much diversity within that. And then she talks about how she's a Nigerian middle class and then how, you know, so, and then what you've just described there is actually one beautiful way of how you can connect to that individuality and that sense of place and sense of culture within, within something so joyful and so individual but then plugs into a culture uh, thank you for sharing that that's that's really i'm gonna have to um you're gonna have to get back to me a bit later and kind of see if you can find some stuff for me that we can all post some links and that maybe maybe there's some video that people can watch or something um yeah, there. yeah That'd be I'm, amazing. Sure, I'm sure there is because i um was talking to my year 11 class um because we study uganda and um i found a clip where um, it was this cultural centre, like sharing um, some of the music they do. So I'll, I'll find some of that. Can I also do a quick plug as well? Because yes. um, the GA has got a wonderful website um, called Geography Education Online. And I've written some resources for it. And one that went up just last week um, is one about the single story. So if teachers are looking for a resource to explore the single story, it's... Um, uh, PowerPoint that they can use and it's nice. got a link to the wonderful TED talk um, by Dietschy and it's um, got some ideas for activities to do with students to think about the danger of the single story. Awesome so for so for those who are not 
I'm sure about the acronym. So GA stands for Geographical Association. And for those of you who don't use the the UK system of education, year 11 is our 15 to 16 year old high school kids. So if you're in America, that'll be your grade 10, your 10th graders. <laughs> I can convert very easily since half my family's American. Um, right, so when do you think all of this was taking place then? This The, the age of the, the Kush Empire and Nubia and, and all that kind of stuff. What, what What's gonna be your ballpark kind of guess? <laughs> putting you on the spot now <laughs> I I think is it around sort of I wonder if it was sort of around zero okay well, you, <laughs> so you're going so like start, order of magnitude is correct <laughs> so so sort of starting before so starting yeah. um sort of before and and then ending slightly after okay so um and it just goes to show how much of um an influence they must have had because as it was said in the in earlier you know it had an influence for over a thousand years so the kind of so a good indicator is this is that uh, the capital of nubia which was kerma was as well it was established as the capital in 2000 bc so there we go so you were wow. yeah. so you were another 2000 years off but yeah. hey but it just goes to show that this you know the as we said like this this whole kind of like global trade kind of process was taking place far 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 earlier than the western society came along so so yeah it's uh we've definitely been proceeding that so a little fact toward that but definitely everybody do check out um rerouted on twitter you can find them at uh reroutes that's r-e-r-o-o-t underscore ed on twitter and definitely their little uh youtube clips is fantastic and I wonder if we have any historians listening to this. They probably think coffee and geography. No, yeah. But if you are, thank you so much for coming to the dark side. And rerouted <laughs> is a fantastic, fantastic thing for you to check out as well for, for any um, things that you could use in your history. Right, we're going to go back to you now um, and talk a bit about um, do a little something real fun. This is a new game. I don't know how it's going to work, but we're going to call it Jog On. <laughs> And this is where I give you a place, a name, an event, a TV show, food, whatever. And you enthusiastically react with jog on if you want to elaborate and chat about it a little bit more. Or you can dismiss me with a take a hike, you know, to pass on it. Now, passing does not mean that you're dismissive of the topic or, 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 it's, or it's not your thing. So to help you out with that, I'm going to do five things and you can only say jog on to three of them. Okay, so play your cards right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat in this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat in this one really though because I want you to save one jog on for the last topic. All right. So, you ready? Yeah. Okay. So you either so you disclaim jog on yes or take a hike kit. Right. First one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Recipe books. Oh, um, I think I'm gonna go take a hike on that one. All right. Okay. Next one. Halloween. Um, right, I might, yeah, I'm going to say jog on for that one. All right, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on Halloween then. Right, well, first of all, I'm not massively keen normally on Halloween. I think it's very commercialised and um, I really worry about things like um, the plastic pollution from having so many like disposable um, costumes and things. However, last October, I had just the most amazing experience on Halloween. And what happened is um, being down in rural Somerset, um, we've got a um, like a, a place called Philoxton Growers near us, um, which is where people in the community have got like basically a, a farm. And they normally are known for doing things like in the summer, you can go strawberry picking, that sort of place. But what they did um, this year is they got imaginative and they've done two amazing events. The first one um, that was absolutely stunning was their sunflower fields. And they um, realised that, you know, they had all these field spaces that um, that were just, you know, people weren't able to come and do the normal sort of pick and um, all that sort of stuff. So um, they planted huge fields full of sunflowers for local people to visit. And um, and that was all a fundraising um, thing. But then what they did at Halloween is they did a pumpkin patch. And they just had this immense field of pumpkins. Um, and so you paid to go along and you picked your own pumpkin. But there were also loads of games to do. But they were all really simple, good, 
fun, wholesome type games. So, for example, they had a trailer of um, apples from their orchard, which, you know, had fallen down and were rotten and they weren't good for anything. So what they'd done is they'd hung up a um, they'd hung up a pumpkin and then they had catapults, so you could catapult your rotten apples to splat this it. pumpkin sign and things. Um, <laughs> so, you know, even though my children are grown up, quite grown up now, um, and we went with um, a friend as well, and um, it was just amazing. You know, we just got in there and um, we played the silly games. We went and chose our pumpkins. Um, you then had the pumpkin um, carving tables where you could go and you could um, get like you know sort of scrape out all the pumpkin seeds and stuff and that was all to like reduce waste um and um they had like you know places set up with loads of pumpkins so that you could um have like a family photo there oh it was just wonderful and what was really really special about it is of course we then went into the second lockdown and so i just looking back over you know when you're during lockdown and it was cold and wintry just looking back at those photographs of those beautiful orange pumpkins and remembering that wonderful day was just so so special yeah oh that's really i love that yeah um we we have something very we went to somewhere similar a couple of years ago where where you just basically rummaged around the field with a wheelbarrow but yeah i really would have loved to have had a go at that you know i'm not old enough i'm I'm not too old to be launching rotten apples at pumpkin (laughs) size no it It was so much fun yeah so okay so we've got three topics left although we are cheating and you've got reserved for the last one yeah. so technically you've got two topics left and you can only choose uh-huh. one of them right so you can gamble on this one and then not can't talk about the following or you can skip this one and then you'll have to talk about the one afterwards <laughs> right okay and these by the oh i forgot to mention that these are completely randomly selected i used a random subject uh, generator for these so so when i say hip hop as the next one <laughs> hip hop music i'm gonna say i'm gonna say jog on i've oh, gone in yeah yeah um i'm gonna say that i um have um learned so much about things like hip-hop because not only do i teach geography i also do a-level sociology and um one of the things that i teach about in um sociology is um hybridity and one of the lessons that i enjoy doing most is when we look at where um hip-hop came from so we look at like you know the rude boys in jamaica um, and we look at um, the sound moving to the UK and the USA. And then we look at how when it went, first of all, to um, like areas like New York, we look at the idea of how the sound um, had the sound that had come from another place. But then the place it was in influenced how it developed. Then, of course, it went over to L.A. and then boom, around the world. And one of the exercises I just love doing in this lesson is we listen to um different hip-hop and rap music from different time periods and from different places around the world and we think about this idea of hybridity we think about um how you've got you know the the heritage of the sound and then how it develops in a new context and we look as well at the idea of you know how is it different when women are involved than in men and then we look at um you know different parts of the world and sorry i'm going to go back to uganda again because i'm just totally obsessed but um you may have come across the wonderful bobby wine um who um bobby wine who is a rapper who also ran for president um in january and we play the children um well children they're 17 18 (laughs) yeah i um i play um the um music of bobby wine which is very different um i've got a wonderful friend um who his rap name is silas zephaniah and he is based in london and he, he's based in brixton and so his sound is very different he sings um he raps a lot of stuff about like anti-violence um pan-africanism um we look at how that's different to say like eminem um we go back to a bit of nwa um so i just think that you know Oh my God, when you start looking at music and you start thinking about sociology and geography, you've just got such rich, powerful uh, um, thoughts having there. That's, but I, right, okay. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to do Jog On as a feature in future. I don't think anything can top that. That was amazing. And truly everybody, Catherine and I did not say we'll talk about hip hop ahead of time. It was completely, you did not know I was going to say hip hop, did you? No. Right. <laughs> That was amazing. And you probably thought asking a middle-aged white woman about hip-hop could go terribly wrong. Boom. 
but but no, that, that was that was fantastic and it's but it is but it, but it is a testament to how you know this this jog mum culture of you how you know you're nurturing kind of like just allowing everybody to 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 be who they are you know and the, the love for everybody's culture and things like that and the way that you bring you've just described bringing it into your teaching is fascinating and that's brilliant now the last topic was going up so i don't just say what you would have said to this one the last random topic <laughs> this is such so different was pac-man what <laughs> what would you have said to that one i would have said take a hike yeah so, so it's worked out quite well then okay um right so okay the, the last topic and and um I did actually I did actually say save it for this one because um this is we did cheat this one was you actually stated this before the show and you said that um your daughter uh has you watching Raul Paul's Drag Race so that was the fifth topic so I've cheated by actually not that's not a random one and you simply stated that you love it so so what is it about Raul Paul's Drag Race that's the, so you're going to jog on with this one what are you going to talk us yep. what can you tell us about that then well the thing is that um you know my daughter has really, really, really fallen for the drag race um, idea and is just um, so knowledgeable, having watched the um, US series. Um, and she said to me, uh, drag is a political act. And she's learned a huge amount. She comes out with things sometimes. She says to me things like, um, you know, if we're talking about things like feminism, and Megan would come out with the most amazing statements. And I'm like, where'd you get that from? She's at like, drag race. Um, so I'd already had my interest peaked. And the thing is, though, this was very much something that was Megan's. No one else in the family um, was listening or watching drag race. Um, it was very much something that was special to her. So I felt really privileged when she said to me, look, mum, there's a new series coming up of UK drag race. Um, should we watch it together? So I felt so privileged that she had sort of, you know, was sharing this thing that's so special with her, with me. So um, I watched the first episode and I, I was all ready to be enthusiastic about it, even if I was a bit dubious, because, you know, it's so important to Megan. Mm. And it absolutely just stunned me. It's a beautiful programme. Um, just seeing these amazing, talented people and there's so many stories about their lives um, and how they've, um, you know, come across awful obstacles sometimes, um, but overcome those and are so true to themselves through their drag. And I just thought that was just absolutely inspiring. And there's also the talent because I hadn't realised that, you know, there might be an episode where it's all about making a costume. And then there's an episode where it's about being in a soap opera. And then there's an episode where it's all about singing and dancing. And the versatility of these um, people is just stunning. Um, the relationships that they develop, the way they support each other. Um, none of them are going to be really confident of doing everything. And so um, you've got people that, you know, have absolutely been stunning one week who are terrified the next week. And the support that they offered each other um, is just beautiful. And you see these relationships between really unusual um, couplings sort of coming to the fore. You know, you might think at first those two are never going to get on. And then they're supporting each other when they're having a difficult moment. So totally fell in love with the show. And um I just love the idea as well that um, by becoming really now part of the mainstream, drag race is also changing people's um, thinking and it's bringing um, diversity and it's bringing more understanding about people being different into the mainstream in our society, which, you know, to me, that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, oh, that, that's so, so true. Um, so from, from, from my perspective as well, I've, I've had some... So a lot of people already know that I'm, I'm transgender, and and um, for me, I, I had an experience with with drag myself before I realised my identity was trans, and that was it was a year eleven concert. It was a, a, a yeah, it was their Leavers concert, year eleven Leavers concert, and I decided to do um, um, it's, it's Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It's called the movie, and there's a song in it called uh, Wig in a Box. And I performed Wig in a Box in drag for this year Leavers concert. I felt so liberated and so comfortable doing that and so much fun. And the kids absolutely loved it and everything like that. But um, and now I've come to realize why that felt so natural. Um, but um, and then 
so that's my first story with regards to that kind of stuff. And I, I, I realized just in that, that how how much time and effort you, this was just a year 11 concert and yet the amount of effort I had to put in to kind of make myself, you know, look like Hedwig, um, you know, all of the makeup that went on and Amanda Austin, the wonderful Amanda Austin, Amanda Austin ex-colleague of mine, um, did my makeup and it was brilliant and she did the drums for the performance and we had a couple of kids who were on the guitars and things like that and Mr Neville on the piano it was fantastic and all the effort that went in just to do that one little three minute thing for you was, was incredible so that was my first experience for that and my second experience is that now this is after I'd, I'd come out as trans and I was actually going out soci- I was socially transitioning and, and I was I was actually going out as, as a, a trans person and um, I went to my first ever drag performance not as a performer, but as a, as a as a someone just a, in the audience, and then there was this beautiful, beautiful moment where I thought, I think I recognised this person on the stage doing their drag performance, and they were incredible, incredible. You know, the amount, not you know, not just their performance, but their their get up, their makeup, their. I'm like, I swear, I recognised this person, and then after their performance, they they'd made eye contact with me a couple of times during the performance, and after the performance, um, they went off and they came. And they went, I heard this shout across the room. Oh my God, I knew it, I knew it, this is amazing. And then this person like ran up to me, gave the biggest hug and it turns out it was an ex-student, an ex-form tutee of mine oh. that that um, was, you know, was 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 out as, as, as queer to an extent at school, mm-hmm. um, but, but with a small cue because, you know, still there was those social pressure and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just to see this person like up on that stage being so vibrant so beautiful so and then we had such a great chat and and um yeah i mean I, I ended up burst out crying because not just because of the affirmation that this student was giving for me but because i felt so proud of them as yeah. well yeah and then and then and then this person used to talk to me a little bit about in school about how they felt and i never used to understood why these kids used to keep coming to me but now maybe i gave off as kind of a vibe and yeah and then just to see how drag was able to kind of push their personality out breach their comfort zone and now they're a performer you know like a, a semi-professional performer now and and yeah if if, if you're listening uh, I, I haven't got any consent to mention any any names in that respect so but if they're listening they know who they are and they are bloody amazing and i yeah. and i'm so proud of them i'm so proud of them so fa- i'm thank you for sharing that Catherine. uh we, we could go on for so much longer we're running out of time now so we, we do need to bring this to an end so there's a the last feature we have is is it's called we're all geographers and uh, this is where at the end of the episode we think of a single word topic that you and I um, tried to stump the following guest so now last <laughs> episode Glynis um, was actually stumped by trying to come up with a topic because she's, she's a geographer through and through everything she came up with is no I can link that to geography I can link that to geography I can link that to geography <laughs> but she, she talked about um, poetry being a love of hers so we settled on poetry so we've got 30 seconds and I'm going to do the, the cliche tick tocking in the background right so in 30 seconds me and you have got to bash out all the ways that poetry is linked to geography are you ready? Okay. Okay. Set. So I, I'm, I'm quite. Do you want to go first or shall I go first? Do you want to make a statement or shall I make a statement first? I haven't really planned this. <laughs> I can go first. I don't right. mind. Okay. You go first and then I'll add. Ready? Steady. Go. 30 seconds. Wandered lonely as a cloud. How much more linked to geography can you be than well, that? Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. And then you get into song lyrics like Crowded House, always take the weather with you. So you can do some. Um, there's an actual fantastic GIS um, map which maps loads of poetry to, to landscapes and to geolocated poetry. So there you go. There's another one. I've, I've completely. I should have set a timer here. What else have we got? <laughs> um, I've come across um, in Bristol where there's been um, groups that have been looking at the cultural heritage of different groups of people in Bristol and they've explored that through poetry. I'll have to find the um, website go. link so that I can share that with you. Right. And there we go. I think we nailed it. So, so anybody try to use poetry as a way not to link to geography, I think we've we've we've... <laughs> put that one to bed right so now we we need to come up with a topic for the following guest that and and us as geographers have this problem that we can probably link everything to geography but let's come up with something <laughs> that the next guest has to do what we've just done for 30 seconds what are we going to go for would you know you made me think earlier when you were saying about historians um so i think <laughs> maybe we should go for something you'd really relate to history yep. and then see how a geographer could um relate that to geography so for some reason um i think probably because i was watching a film last night in which it was mentioned um the battle of hastings has just jumped into my head okay 
we'll go with Battle of Hastings. So, because that's so, such a thing that you would think of a history teacher <laughs> knowing about, isn't it? But what would a geographer say about it? I think could be fascinating. And the the um, because because the because these are actually going to go out after I've done all the recordings, <laughs> the person is not going to know that the Battle of Hastings is is the is the topic. So this is going to be really interesting. We can do it, but that's more uh, than one word, though. Am I allowed that? No, Battle of Hastings is fine. Yeah, we can do that do that <laughs> right Catherine this has been amazing but before we go there's a couple of things can you so we you've already said that you you're jog mum on social media so g-e-o-g-m-u-m on twitter um is it is that the only place people find you on social media for now yeah okay yeah my awesome. daughter is not keen on me having an instagram account she says <laughs> that i'll just be embarrassing because she likes insta well, it'll be all those lovely pictures of walks that you take in the Somerset levels. I don't know what the problem. Uh, we won't. We won't embarrass you. Okay. So um, you've mentioned um, D- uh, dear Megan a lot. Is there anyone else you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah. Well, I haven't mentioned Jack so much, and Jack is absolutely inspiring, oh. and I'm so proud that he's looking at going um, off to do marine biology next Win. year at university. And um, whilst you know it isn't geography, but it's it's still going to make a difference to the planet. So that is amazing. And then my um, wonderful husband Gary who we couldn't have done this podcast without yeah. because I couldn't get my headphones working and he got it all sorted and that's <laughs> <Technical> just <help. laughs> he is so supportive and he's just always there quietly supporting all of us as we um make chaos in the world Gary's always the one that you know makes sure that everyone's okay and fed and <laughs> he's just our rock he's fantastic oh that's brilliant well well thank you for those shout outs and everyone well Catherine this has been really really enjoyable and as as is always these things we could talk for ages but we but we uh for everybody's sanity um especially yours I think we better we better stop there um so thank you so much for joining us Catherine and um I will see you around my jog mum yeah thank you Kit and I cannot wait to be able to see you face to face and hopefully one of these days I'll be able to give you a great big hug oh yeah I'm looking forward to that too thank you so much thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun if you haven't already done so please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app if you fancy being a guest or have any feedback Follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep jogging. <laughs>